Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Hello. How are we? Are we good? I like to uh, try to do it the moment the mic comes on. All right. Um, This is our passage today, and uh, I think it's great. I learned a lot. Um, I think there's some fascinating kind of wordplay that he does in here, and uh, I was very surprised by sort of the language that is used. And so we're going to open this up today and and dive into this. Um, I hope your weekend's been good. It's been kind of a heavy weekend for some of us. Um, Was at a funeral yesterday, and... Just So yeah, um, times like this are good to gather with my brothers and sisters and to kind of focus ourselves on, on the important things in life. Um, in my mind, whenever I go to funerals, I kind of have in my brain um, the quote, I think it was Augustine, and he said, death is the tuning fork of life. It just kind of, it just kind of readjusts your priorities. And so, yeah. Um, I guess today we're going to talk about kind of what we're here for. We're going to talk about um, um, the part we all kind of play together and individual gifts that God has given us. And so let's pray, and then let's, uh, let's get into First Peter chapter 4. Father, we love you. I ask that you would um, make yourself very present with us this morning, that you would make yourself obvious to us, that you would speak to us and encourage us and... Uh, Give us lightheartedness. Give us uh, joy and uh, assuredness of your love. And I ask that uh, as I'm speaking this morning that you would speak through me, that you would um, give me clearness of thought and, uh, and the ability to communicate just f- fluently um, the things that you want us to hear. Thank you for preserving this ancient letter for 2,000 years now so that we could sit here and that we could read it and, uh, and we could get into the mind of, of the early followers of Jesus and the things that they had to go through to even call themselves Christians. We love you, God. In your name, amen. All right, so we're going to start here in verse 9. He says, uh, show hospitality to one another. Um, hospitality, we're going to jump right into this. This hospitality, the word hospitality, is the word philoxenos. Everyone say philoxenos. All right, well done. This is a word that means stranger love. Interesting. Um, it's, the idea is um, you see somebody, you don't know them, you've never met them, they may be an immigrant, they may be just from another land, they may be a traveler, and you would see them and have love for them. Show hospitality to one another. We tend to think it means making somebody pastries. Um, doesn't. It's stranger love. It's, uh, it's the idea that, that everyone around you is somebody that, that passes through your life and you are here to kind of serve and to love, stranger love. Hospitality in the ancient world was incredibly important. Um, it was oftentimes the difference between life and death. Um, there were no, in ancient times, I know we hear the Christmas story, we think of inns, we think there was like hotel sixes everywhere, but there wasn't. Um, the inn that is spoken about actually in the Gospels wasn't really a hotel, it was more of a family sort of space, um, a big house, if you will. Um, and there weren't really hotels, there weren't really inns, there weren't motels. I don't know the difference between a hotel and a motel, but there was neither, so it doesn't matter. Um, 
And if you were traveling, you relied on the hospitality of strangers. When you would walk into a city, people would see you and they would realize, oh, they've got a lot of luggage and a donkey. They're not from around here. Hey, come to my house for dinner and I'll put you up for the night. Otherwise, where are you going to sleep? You're going to sleep just... Imagine that. Without the technology we have today, um, without knowing anybody in a city, imagine going to a place where you have never been, you know nobody, and you have to travel to that city and just rely on the hospitality of strangers. Hospitality was a big deal. Oftentimes it was the difference between life and death. Um, Hospitality was so important that you could not be an early um, leader in the church um, if you weren't known for being a hospitable person, for taking people in, for feeding them. Now, of course, the, uh, the context has changed, and this will mean different things for us today, but there's always times when you see a stranger in need. Always. Um, and the idea of hospitality is stranger love. Uh, every time you read in the scriptures any kind of qualification for any position in church leadership, whether it be deacon or elder, it always is mentioned in there. He must be a hospitable person. He must have love for the stranger. He must have the desire and the will and the actions behind all of this to help people whom he doesn't know. Um, and so Peter's going to talk to us, talk to us about hospitality, ho- hospitality to one another. The, um, so this included the stranger. It also included um, those of us in the church. It included other people that you did know. It didn't just, it wasn't just this far away kind of stranger love thing. Um, and so the word, the, the phrase continues here, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And this is a great word. The word grumbling is the word gongismas. Everyone say gongismas. Okay, so um, uh, it basically, it's, it's interesting. It, mean, it denotes the, the misuse of sound. This is an interesting word. I, I like that it has the word gong in it as well. Um, and I think it kind of goes with it. Um, I heard a, a scholar this week talk about how basically this, this meant um, you have lost the notes to the song and you can only make noise. The idea is that there is an orchestra or a choir around you and they're all singing a song and they know exactly what, what they're supposed to sing, when they're, where they're supposed to sing it. Maybe they have the music in front of them. Maybe they've just memorized it. Maybe they've done it so much that it's just they kind of know where to go. If you're a musician that has been playing a long time, you kind of know what's coming next. And maybe this is them. They're just really, really in tune with what they're supposed to be singing. And they're making a beautiful sound. But you, when you are grumbling, um, it's like you forgot or you don't have the music and you're trying to play along with everyone else and you're kind of ruining it. And it sounds really bad. Okay? Um, And it ruins the sound, the beautiful sound that is supposed to be made. Um, Oftentimes, I want to look at it this way. Oftentimes, it's drawing time. Oftentimes, there's, um, you, you, you accomplish something, you do something, and there's a bunch of people and they're like, that was great, that was a really good job. And they're all sort of singing the same tune. They're saying, hey, I'm so proud of you. That was a really good thing that you did. You nailed it. You did a great job. You killed it. Um, and then there's like one person who's just kind of like, it was no good. And you hear this, and no matter how many people, no matter how many people in the choir are singing the same thing about how much they appreciate what you did, they really don't matter. You can't hear them. All you hear is that one person who's just gong, banging the gong, like, nope, wasn't good. I call this person Yoko. They're breaking up the band, all right? They're, 
Um, they are not really doing a service to anyone, <clears throat> and they are all you can hear. When Christians um, go out into the world, we are to be known for hospitality, for stranger love, for grace, for mercy. And there are a few among us who are just not at all playing the same tune. They are um, sort of attempting, they're at least singing along, but they're grumbling. They're maybe helping people um, with an attitude of, I'm only doing this because you need me. I'm only doing this because whatever. But they're not doing it because of grace, because it's the message of God that all of the world is supposed to sing, that even if we don't sing it, God says the rocks are going to cry out and sing it. Um, they're, they're not. They're doing it for some other reason. And they're not singing the song the same. There's a... Uh, hold on a second. There's a... Um, a story in the, in the an ancient story the rabbis used to tell. It's, written in, it's in the, the Talmud, and it basically speaks of a, a couple, um, an Israelite couple that were crossing the Red Sea. And as they were crossing the Red Sea, they're walking and they're following a large crowd of people, all going the same way, all sort of talking about freedom and singing the same song of freedom. And as they're walking, um, they look down at their feet and they notice that it's, it's getting a little muddy. And they notice that it's kind of ruining their, their new Clark sandals. Um, and they are complaining about this. And as they walk, it gets deeper and deeper. It gets up to their ankles. And they're, they're, they're just really, really bummed out about the fact that they're walking in filth. And it smells. And, and they're talking about how this is it's uncomfortable. And it's all Moses' fault. And they, uh, they didn't even know where they're going. They've just got all this negative words to say and... Uh, the ancient rabbis, they write this. They write, And staring at their feet, they grumbled and complained. But if they had looked up for just a moment, they would have noticed the walls of water that God was holding up all around them. The idea is that the person who is grumbling and complaining is looking at themselves and their own discomfort and their own misfortune and the tiniest little things that they're complaining about. Mud on their sandals when God is holding up walls of water all around them. The idea is that you and I were the stranger. You and I were the one who was out on our own. And it was a matter of life and death. And God saw us and exercised hospitality, stranger love. And he took us in, gave us a seat at the table. Not just that. He didn't just feed us. He made us whole. He made us his own children. He adopted us and said, you know what? I'm actually going to make you an heir to everything that is mine. And this is the idea. Um, hospitality. Stranger love. Um, and so we are not, when we serve other people, the mindset with which we serve is very important. Oftentimes we just think it's the action. It's not. There's a thing the ancient people used to call spirit of the law. It's, it's there was an attitude that you were supposed to be doing it with. Um, let's go to the attitude we were supposed to have it with. Instead of, instead of Grumbling and complaining and gongismas. Let's go to verse 11. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Um, The word supplies is um, a really interesting word that goes perfectly with the word gongismas. The word supplies, um, I think it was was Mark Deaver, um, a a current very well-known 
evangelical theologian, and he writes that the word supplies, um, well, first off, the word is korigeo. Very, very good. Uh, it means providing a choir. Um, it's, it, it's almost like sometimes you read the words that are put in there, and we don't know why the translators didn't just take a paragraph and, and make a sentence out of it and say, this is what this means, and it's, it's brilliant. Um, because we have this choir, and there's someone grumbling and not playing the music right, and it's kind of ruining it. And, and he says, but I want you to know, God has supplied the band. God has supplied the orchestra. Everyone that is around you, including yourself, has been chosen by God and, and rescued and trained and equipped. He has given you the ability the desire, and the instrument with which to play the song. The song is grace. That is the song that we are singing. It is a song that nobody else in the world has sung until the time of Christ. Uh, We do not, as human beings, really care for grace. We like to give credit where it's due. We believe in merit. Jesus taught us grace, that we merited nothing. And he he takes us and he trains us in sort of the ways of grace. And he gives us this song to sing of love and of grace and of mercy and of salvation and healing of the nations. And so he tells us, he puts us here together with all the other members of the band here. And he says, now you're going to play together. And you're going to play as if God has supplied the orchestra. The idea is luxury, opulence, joy. We are here to just do something beautiful for the world to see. Um, look at verse 10. There's some language here that's really interesting. Um, each of us has received a gift. This is the idea that God has supplied exactly what you need to play with. Now, um, ancient words have context. Ancient, um, every sentence of, of scriptures was written in a certain year by a certain person with a certain mindset and a certain theological background and a journey. And they're writing to a people with all of the same. Um, who have their own story, their own way of hearing, and there's their own slang in their day. Um, And in these ancient writings, there's all kinds of context that you need to kind of understand if you're fully going to pull out everything, all of the riches the scriptures have to offer. There's a lot of deep studying to be done. Um, And so um, part of living, this, this, this piece of scripture right here is no exception. It has actually a lot of meaning, the idea of receiving, um, a gift. Paul calls them spiritual gifts when he writes, um, Part of living in the Roman Empire was knowing all about and benefiting from the victories of the kingdom of Rome. Now, um, after a great victory, a parade would ensue by the Roman um, emperor, all the armies, they would all line up. We've talked about this before. Um, And they would go straight from the the place where they had uh, um, conquered a new city, a new nation, um, and basically... The idea is that a new city had become now part of Rome, and there was this celebration that the kingdom had expanded and been established somewhere else, and the dominion of the king, of the emperor, his power has grown with the expansion of the kingdom. Very sort of full-loaded language. Now, um, after the battle had been won, the the emperor would throw sort of a parade, and, and traveling back to Rome, they would travel through several cities, and before the parade reached the town, um, there would be these guys called evangelists that would, that would ride ahead, um, days ahead, um, to all the cities where the parade was going to go through the center of the city. 
And the evangelists would stand up in the middle on the street corner and they would proclaim the gospel of Nero, the gospel of Caesar, the gospel of Augustus. Um, basically the idea that Caesar had conquered, he had won a victory, and his kingdom has been established in a new place. And this would be called the gospel, the good news of Caesar. And the evangelists would go through. Is this sounding very familiar? I think it is. Um, and so at this parade... And they would say, basically, tomorrow a parade is coming. And all of the people who, who um, are part of the kingdom, who are worshipers of Caesar, will gather in the city center as the parade comes through, and we will worship the emperor together. And we will wave palm branches, and we will praise him as he travels through our city. Now, when the parade reached your city, so you and all of your brothers and sisters would all run out to the city center, we would watch the parade go by, and the emperor and his people would be up on these sort of um, stagecoach wagon type things, and they would be um, showing off the riches of the new land that they had conquered. Um, some of the ancient writings talk about how they brought back um, crocodiles and elephants and hippopotamuses, and, and nobody had seen these things before. And they were just blown away by what they're looking at, like strange things from a different place where they, they have never been and could not go. And there'd be plants. And one of the other things that they would do is, is the emperor would be giving out gifts. Everyone who came would receive a gift from the new land. Something to basically make them more prosperous. Something that they could celebrate, that the kingdom had expanded. And so when you talk about the spiritual gifts in the scriptures and, and, and when the ancient writers, Paul, Peter, and several of the others write about receiving spiritual gifts, they're basically saying that they're borrowing all this kingdom Roman language and they're saying Jesus has conquered in the spiritual realm and he has brought back gifts, spiritual gifts for all of you and all who gather in his name to worship him, all who heard the words of the evangelist and heard the gospel of Jesus, that the kingdom had been established and the kingdom was coming and it was here and you can take part in this. And all who gather to worship him receive spiritual gifts which are for the building up of all of us to celebrate. And they're, they're, they're spiritual things. So they come from a place where you have never been, you've never seen these things. And he's bringing them to you and giving them out to you so that we can all collectively sort of play a song together. The language is incredible. And I hate that we, we miss so much of it in the English language. I mean, and there's, there's so much more Empire, Roman Empire language that, that they use. It's a very rebellious way of communicating. Um, look at verse 11 again. Uh, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is a very rebellious sort of empire speak that people used to say about Caesar. And they say, no, no, no. Jesus, his domain, his kingdom, his dominion will be established and will grow forever and ever. Amen. So be it. And so all of this had a lot of meaning to the people. And so basically the way we look at it is that each of us, again, are pieces of the whole. We are described as the body of Christ and each of us has a different gift, a different ability given to us by God to serve. And serving sort of is the cornerstone of this whole thing. Stranger love, hospitality, looking for the needs of each other and meeting them. And as we are all doing this, we are all playing the same song and it's beautiful. And the people hear it that are not part of us. And they say, I don't know what they're doing over there, but I have to be a part of this. I have to be involved. 
and they'll talk about their interactions that they had with the Christians, the little Christs. This is what stranger love is. This is what hospitality is. And when we all play this together. Now, one of, one of the important things you need to realize when playing in a band, for those of you who play in a band, um, is that it's not about you. It's not a solo act. It's a band. And so each and every person that is playing, one of the goals, if you are a good musician and you play in a band and you know this, is, is to compliment everyone else. You're not there to bust out some huge guitar solo or drum solo. You're not there to just draw attention to yourself. That's not what it's about. When you play, you play together. One of, one of the best compliments we give each other when we play here is, dude, I forgot you were there. We didn't sound like five individual musicians. We sounded like one band. And so humility in the Christian world is a big deal. Um, Jesus at one point talks about... Uh, um, in the first century, the, the Jewish leaders, the leaders in the temple, the priests, would, would give to the offering in the temple. And that money would go to feed the poor. And so it's a very good thing that they would do. But he talks about how they would go. And before they would drop money, they would literally ring a bell for everyone to look at them. And when everyone looked at them, they would make sure everyone's looking. And they'll drop their money in. For the poor, everybody. It's for the poor. It's not. It's for you. It's absolutely for you. You're doing everything you can to get as much attention as you can when you're doing something for someone else. And so there's this idea of humility. I mean, look at the way to describe. Let me underline some things here for you. Um, the whole passage here, show hospitality to one another. Like, it's, it's about other people serving them. Um, in verse 10, serve one another. Uh, verse 11, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, uh, that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belongs glory and dominion forever and ever. It's, it's not about us. It is about the whole. It's about the kingdom. It's about Jesus. Um, the book of Ephesians, at the end of it, says, writes about, and he's writing to the church, and he says, and by the way, in the church, to Jesus be the glory forever and ever. It's not about anybody else. And each and every one of you, if you are doing your part, if you are serving, being hospitable, and you're doing these things without grumbling, without complaining, then we're all playing the same song. But when you get your eyes on yourself and you start complaining and your attitude is just not there, it's not about love, it's about religion. You're messing up the song for everyone else. Um, And this is an interesting thing to hear from Peter. Uh, There's a conversation that uh, the disciples had um, maybe only a few months earlier. Um, and it starts off with Jesus asking the disciples a question. He, they're in their ministry. They're following behind Jesus. And he looks at them in, in Luke chapter 9, and he says this. And when they came to Capernaum, uh, and, when he, and they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had, been, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down, and he called the twelve, and he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Now, it doesn't tell us who was arguing. But we can safely assume that Peter was part of this conversation. Why? Because Peter was the oldest. He was the most well-educated. He was, if anyone was going to be the greatest disciple, it really would have been Peter. Uh, Peter's the oldest. That means he has um, first dibs on answering the rabbi at any given time. That's why Peter is always talking so much. He talks more than any of the other disciples. So this conversation was probably Peter, maybe John, the disciple that Jesus loved. 
And they're talking about who's the greatest. Who's the greatest? Who's the greatest of all the students here of the Talmudim following the rabbi? Which one of us is going to be sort of the right-hand man at the rabbi's feet? And they're going to carry on his work after he's gone because this is all they wanted to do. And Jesus sits him down and says, why are you talking about who's the greatest? You see, the problem with any conversation about who's the greatest is that it's also a conversation about who's the least. And the kingdom is not about who's the least. The kingdom is about Jesus being glorified. And when Jesus is being glorified, the only way to glorify Jesus is by serving him and and doing his will, living the way that we were meant to live here. So any conversation you have about, well, who's better at this? Who's better at that? who's more talented, is also a conversation about who is the least talented, who is the worst. And Jesus has no time for this conversation. And Jesus showed them that he has no time for conversations like this. Um, A little farther, uh, in John chapter 13, a few days later, we read this. Jesus rose from the supper, and he laid aside his outer outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. So I'm going to pause here and set the context, set the stage. Um, The disciples are at a meal with Jesus. They've been traveling. They know their feet are dirty and they're looking at each other because one of them ritually has to wash the feet of all the others. And they're looking at each other, having a little while earlier had this conversation about who is the greatest. And now they're sitting at the table looking at each other saying, well, who's going to wash the feet? Well, there it is. That is a conversation about who is the least. And none of them are moving. Washing the feet of other people was the lowest of the low job in the house. It was the lowest servant's job to wash the feet and scrape the mud off of the feet of the travelers. And they're sitting looking at each other and they're pondering and nobody's moving. And they're just kind of, it's probably awkward. And Jesus looks up and he kind of realizes, not again. And he stands up, he takes a towel and he puts it around his waist and in verse five, and then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, the author of this book. And he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? In verse 7, Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. If we skip ahead a little bit to verse 13, Jesus looks at him and he says, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, And you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Oftentimes when you see the pictures of Jesus that are drawn, the statues of Jesus that are carved, the mosaics that are made, um, he's either teaching and there's people around him, he's standing like this and they're all just kind of like looking up at him and they're all you know, stokes to be there. Um, Or he's dying on the cross, which is this epic thing that he did for all of us. And so it's all about his greatness and the amazing things that he did. But why don't artists ever depict him with a towel? This simple act that Jesus did here changed the disciples' lives, especially Peter. This is the moment when it kind of all clicked with Peter. And he kind of realized... Oh, this isn't about religion. This isn't about who's the greatest and who's the least. This is simply, it's a race to the bottom. It's, I don't want anyone else to be, be lower. I will, I will be lower. I will be the lowest. 
and I don't want anyone else to be humble themselves before me, I will seek to be lower than them. Because I want to be here to lift others up. This is exactly, if you were here at our Watermark 201 class, um, we talked about truth, we talked about the Trinity, and this is, this is the existence of the Trinity. The Father is submitting to the Spirit, the Spirit submitting to the Father. The Spirit is submitting to the Son, the Son is submitting to the Spirit. The Son submitting to the Father, the Father submitting to the Spirit. And we talked about all the pieces of Scripture that point to all of this. It's as if they won't allow the other to submit to them because they're so busy submitting to each other. And when this happens, this creates this amazing community where this song is being played of grace and mercy and, and lifting others up and pouring into others, giving exactly what they need, hospitality, stranger love. And, and in this, we were created. Out of this community, we came. And then God looks at us and says, be fruitful and multiply. And so we are to multiply this community. And we create this community that, that looks just like the Trinity. And we're pouring into each other. And then we also take part in the community of God. This is what it looks like. There's a, a, um, a French monastery um, back in the second century. It was headed by a man named Bernard of Clairvaux. And he said something brilliant. He writes this, Learn the lesson that if you are to do the work of a prophet, what you need is not a scepter, but a hoe. You do not need royalty. You just need dirty fingernails to get into people's lives and to change things. This is what Jesus did. This is what the disciples did. And they all ended up dying very lowly, humble deaths. Today, we, we try to lift them up and, and we try to talk about how amazing they were. And if they could hear this, they would say, no, 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 no. Jesus, be glorified. Jesus, be glorified. I've, um, I've met some preachers who, who preach to groups of thousands and thousands of people every Sunday. And when you compliment them, and you tell them, that meant so much to me. It changed my life. They look at you and they say, well, God must really love you. They're like, just don't put that on me. It has nothing to do with me. I'm here to serve you. This is the song that we are to play. This is the song that Jesus taught us. And why do we fail at this so often? Richard Foster writes about how when we serve people, it's like dying a thousand tiny little deaths and it changes us because we are to die to ourselves, And it's, it's in the common things of service, the mundane. This is where we find the greatness of our God and we realize that he did these things for us. Uh, we're going to take communion now. And this is so our communion service. You guys can, can get ready and, and uh, prepare for this. Um, I want to I focus on that idea of the common of feeding somebody a meal, of washing somebody's feet, of the mundane, of pushing somebody's car to the gas station when they almost made it there, of serving in the children's ministry, of washing the coffee cups, of mopping the floor, just of all of it, of paying for the groceries of the person who doesn't have their wallet or doesn't have enough and asks the clerk to put some back. All of these little tiny things are the common, the very simple things in life. And this is where the divine can be found. This is where God is just there pricking your heart saying, hey, stranger love, stranger love. And when we all do this, we all are playing the same song. And it's beautiful and it's attractive and crowds gather to hear it. And it draws people to Jesus and it humbles people and it changes them. It brings about their salvation and their healing. It, 
It heals their lives as they learn to walk on the path of Jesus. Communion is, one of the words for communion, I've talked about this a lot, is common. Wrapped up in the word communion is the word common. It's just bread, it's just wine. And we just take it and we rip it and we serve it. Whenever we Christians gather, we take communion. Um, it's just bread, it's, it's just wine, but it's not. It's symbolic of Jesus serving us. It's a seat at the table that all of us can come and sit at the table and, and taste and see that the Lord is good. It's a sign of, of remembrance, of remembering what Jesus did. And we take it and we dip it in the glass and we, and we eat it and we say, God, there's so many places in my life where I have just, my attitude is wrong and I'm grumbling and I have to learn to dwell in your presence. I'm ruining the song for everyone else. And so as we take communion today, why don't we try to find those, those places in us where we are failing? And ask God to sort of help us fix them and, and rid our lives of them. Shall we? So our communion servers will go ahead and, and uh, get in their place. And uh, why don't we close in a word of prayer and take some time and talk to Jesus. Father, we love you. Thank you for all the ways that, that you have served us and continue to serve us. You give us exactly what we need every single day. Our daily bread. You, you, you give us what we need when t- times are heavy. You walk with us. You, you speak encouraging things into our ear. You send people into our lives to help carry us. I ask that you would help us all to just play the song together. Help us to get our eyes off of ourselves, to find meaning in the mundane, in the, the, the serving moments of washing each other's feet and just, just offering what little help we can when we can. And may this be something that brings about your kingdom. Thank you, God. In your name, amen.